Hello and welcome. I'm Anna Dixon. I'm the Chief Executive of the Centre for Ageing Better. We're a charity focused on helping everyone have a good later life. And as part of that, we are supporting ageing and innovation. And that's the topic of conversation today. And I'm really delighted to be joined by George McGuinness, who is the um, Healthy Ageing Challenge Director with UKRI. And uh, George will be saying a little bit more about his role and the work of the Healthy Ageing Challenge uh, as part of this wider discussion about ageing and innovation. So welcome, George. Um, would you like to start by just telling us a little bit more about the Healthy Ageing Challenge and why government picked ageing as a focus? Well, it's a really good question, Anna. So um, we've all been living longer. I think that's a trend that is, is well publicised. And uh, about five years ago, the government com commissioned a, a foresight report into ageing populations, uh, which sort of stimulated the idea that, that actually not only were we living longer, we were living longer in poor health um, and all sorts of other factors, like we were not saving as much for retirement um, coming through. So there was a need to think about ageing differently. Uh, and on the way, it became uh, apparent that ageing isn't just a problem. There's a real opportunity to be had. So, so the government so framing this as a challenge was really saying that actually we need to respond. We need to respond as a society and we need to encourage businesses and all sorts of government organisations to respond, to adapt to a new sort of world where people live longer. Yeah, and certainly, um, you know, we recognise that at the Centre for Ageing Better, that um, whilst it's obviously a great achievement that we are all living longer, you know, this fact that we're not living longer in good health is 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 a real issue that we need to um, face up to. And obviously, that's not just a challenge for government, though, is it? It's something that uh, we're also looking at how businesses across all sectors can sort of help respond to this. So do you want to say a little bit more about the sort of business and innovation focus for your work? Yeah, so uh, there was a real opportunity to think about this differently. And we, we hear so much about prevention. And I suppose in the, in the age of COVID, we're now really understanding that arriving in later life in good health actually changes your life chances dramatically. So um, there is still lots of work going on in, in the NHS, in social care to look at actually how they manage better the sort of the needs of, of aging populations when they get to that stage. But this was an opportunity to look earlier and say, what are the things that we do in our life that actually could make a difference? Uh, and ultimately, actually, not only would save money on the NHS, but actually give us better lives. And you know, that extends a whole range of things it extends from actually just thinking about remaining physically active and, and what that means in your life. Uh, actually, it means thinking about work and work in later life. And, and why do people fall out of work? Is it their health? Is it actually caring for other people or, or a whole road of things? But that has a huge impact on the financial resources you have. And then through to the stuff that you probably think of as more usual. So what are the adaptations to your home? What are the sort of... Um, aids that help you overcome uh, sight loss, hearing impairment, you know, actually even sort of things like continents, things that serve to force you to be isolated from community or, or if addressed properly, enable you to take a full part in, in community and have a good later life. So that's sort of how the challenge sort of shaped up. And 
those are all things that are opportunities for businesses. Um, and why is that important? Well, one, actually, we, we know that something like three quarters of the financial wealth is in this country is, is owned by older people. Um, there's clearly a huge need. And for those people who sort of track what the baby boom has done through its life as it's progressed through, you know, um, early adulthood, middle age, and now they're all arriving in later life. Actually, this is a generation that has changed the world as it's moved through life. And, and so an opportunity for businesses to pick up on that uh, and do something, but something that actually is not only going to create good business you know, um, finance, but have a longer term impact on our population. That's great. So really important there that you're focusing on the whole of the life course, that this is about ageing, not about older people. So I think that's a really important uh, focus that you've chosen there. And also, you know, the the breadth of issues that uh, you're covering with this challenge, the sort of recognition that it's going to need change across so many aspects of our lives. You know, this is not just about, as you say, health and care but touches on so yeah lots of aspects of, of how we live and work and play um, and our communities so um, can you just say a little bit about the sort of the goal you know what what joins all this um, together well ultimately there's there's a, a government goal a mission as they've, they've they've called it to enable people to live five extra years of healthy independent life um, and to do that in a way that reduces Um, the difference between the experience of the richest and the poorest. So that's, if you like, a government um, ultimate goal. I think we have um, a slightly more modest goal specifically for the challenge, um, which is to enable businesses, including social enterprises, to develop the services and the products that will support people as they age and and also the innovative business models that are going to allow some of those services in particular to move to scale. Uh, And so moving down from five extra years of healthy independent living, what we're really focused on is enabling people to to remain healthy, active um, and socially connected across the generations, actually, interestingly, Mm -hmm. uh, for as long as possible. That's great. And um, you, I, I, I sense that um, the sort of innovations that we've seen in the past maybe haven't adopted that approach. Is, is that is that fair? Oh, I think, yes. I, I think if you think of innovations or just think of products for older people, it tends to be really focused on frail, mm. older the house that I bought actually came fitted with a grab rail and a key safe at the front door. Not, you know, some of the first things we priced off and, 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 and Tata. So um, because it's been focused on that later stage, that they have often been medicalized. They've often been um, addressing a very small audience actually. And that means that typically there are no economies of scales. They're expensive, um, and, 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 you know, it just snowballs from there. So what we're trying to do is think through what are the sort of things that people would want, in, in my expression, as they age. Mm-hmm. So it means actually trying to think about how do you integrate this into people's lives? So, so take a really good example. What's the kitchen that someone actually can continue to use in later life? And then ask yourself, when do people buy their kitchens? And if you've ever bought a house from an old person, you realise it's probably about 
30 years before they realized that they were getting old. So how do we influence that market? And part of the answer is about thinking about um, sort of intergenerational designs. Um, and, and that's from a movement called inclusive design, which actually says if you design things for the extremes, you also actually tend to design in features that are good for the mass of the population. And that's a, a, an approach that's worked in a number of places, I suppose, probably most famously, but, but about 30 years ago, the Ford Focus, mm -hmm. um, exactly that. It, you know, it was designed to be a good car for old people. And it just turned, actually, it didn't market very well like that because no one wants a, an aging special. But when they realized that actually it was just a good car that you could get into and out of if you were a young mum with, with children in, in the back seat and all the rest of it, it was just really, really good. And, and I think that's what we're trying to do, open up the idea that this is a market and if you serve it well, uh, actually you'll reach all sorts of other people that you weren't expecting. That's great. And certainly some work we did uh, specifically around uh, home adaptations at uh, Centre for Aging Better found exactly that, that because the products were actually ugly and clinical looking, people delayed making the changes in their home that could have improved their quality of life and increased their independence until it was really a crisis. So um, it really underlines this idea that we need to de design much better products, more attractive products, inclusive uh, products um, that, you know, as you say, we can use earlier before we recognize perhaps even the need ourselves um, for, for those products and services. So um, really, really great to hear that um, that's the ambition and, and, and focus of the aging challenge. How are businesses going to help uh, meet the challenge and create this, this opportunity? Um, why, why focus on business specifically? Well, I, I suppose I, I, to start with, I would say that, that any sort of government fund is going to be quite a small amount of money compared to what businesses, if they see the value in this market, would start to invest. And, um, you know, other studies have said, and uh, talk off the top of my head, that if, if, if older people were a silver economy, they would be something like the third or fourth largest economy in the world. So this is a, a serious opportunity. Um, what government money can do is catalyze that and encourage people into it so that actually you get the fast followers coming in and saying, OK, we, we understand what the opportunity is. Um, and actually, we've had no shortage of businesses, large and small, showing an interest in what we're doing. And I'm really delighted. Um, almost our, you referred to, uh, you know, our, our really broad canvas of the things that we're trying to do. So we're seeing everything from building companies and utilities through to specialist medical um, device companies and things like that. And, and on the way, consumer goods and other companies coming in and, and showing an interest. So what government is doing is trying to catalyze that. Um, and, and I'm delighted that we're seeing really good, positive early signs of business interest. That's great. And as you say, I mean, it should be a win-win. Um, if we look at the demographics, this is a growing consumer market. So um, if we think about even just those over 65, um, I think it's about 12 million today in the UK. If we fast forward 20 years, I think that's going to be 18 million. So it's definitely a growth sector uh, in terms of the consumer market. So 
we've got to hope that business sees that opportunity. And uh, unfortunately, some of our work suggests that at the moment, though, there's quite a lot of stereotypes, particularly around the marketing and advertising of products um, to older adults. And uh, so I think it's going to need us also to challenge some of that way of thinking and perhaps also to get more older workers into those businesses so that they can sort of bring that consumer perspective into the business um, and hopefully drive a sort of better customer um, perspective. So I think that uh, particularly design, advertising and marketing are not, not are, are quite youthful um, sectors and we need to probably challenge that uh, uh, that too as we, we do in our work trying to... Um, uh, people recognize the benefits of having a diverse, age diverse um, workforce. Um, but as you say, the, the prize is there if businesses get this right in terms of the sort of money, um, the sort of consumer spend by um, older adults, um, both in this country and globally. And I presume that that adds up to a pretty big economic opportunity for government. So um, hopefully, as uh, you know, it'll be better for consumers, it'll be better for business, and at the end of the day, uh, better for us all in, in terms of the economy. So as you mentioned, the government goal is not only to increase how long we're all living in good health, but recognising that at the moment, people particularly from poorer backgrounds experience the much earlier onset of ill health and disability. The idea of the challenge is to also address that uh, inequalities gap. Do you want to say a little bit more, George, about how that's um, influencing your thinking and how you're approaching the challenge? Yes, I think just to reinforce what you said, I mean, the inequalities piece is vital. We're not actually going to make a difference at a population level uh, unless we address inequalities, because that's actually where, if you like, most years of life are lost uh, and also most years of healthy life are lost um, as, as well. So and as I sort of said, um, COVID-19 has really heightened actually the, the, the value of addressing health um, in across populations that are more disadvantaged. Um, and I think how does that wash through in what we're doing? I think it's important that we think about the affordability and everything that we do. It's important that we choose to work in areas with difficult problems who actually so that the innovators that we're funding um, are in part really sort of encouraged to work on projects that, that um, address this head on. And a really good example in our sort of current wave of projects, we have a project focused on home adaptations. It's actually an extension of an utility companies fuel poverty work. And they're looking at actually when you go into a house um, where you've had a referral for fuel poverty to insulate it and change the boiler, actually that often doesn't make it a completely livable house. So is there more that you could do in the kitchen and the bathroom in access and, and all sorts of other things to actually make that house something that's really fit for those people to live for, for many years more? So um, that's a key part of it. And I think the other piece that we're doing is thinking about this in terms of the innovations that we're bringing through um, from the early stage innovators. And there's a sort of classic way that this happens within, within the investment community where um, new technologies arrive, uh, they arrive at a premium as, as volumes grow, the price drops and eventually they become you know, sort of pervasive. You know, the mobile phone would be, or certainly the smartphone would be a good example of that. 
But I think actually we need to balance that with a bottom-up and impact approach, um, which is, I think, aligned to actually really good ideas around frugal innovation mm. as well, where designing with tough constraints can provide innovation that's really relevant to the way that, that um, a, a large number of people who live in disadvantaged communities actually live their lives. So I think both approaches will, are relevant and we need to have a balance of the two. Fantastic. So yes, making sure that products are affordable as well as uh, meeting uh, the sort of uh, needs and, and wants of, of, of consumers. That sounds sounds great to keep that in focus and really important to encourage the innovators and businesses to sort of design it in from the beginning, I think is, is, is what you're saying, which I think is, is really critical. And we've had some really interesting experience this year of, of actually making this work because we've been incorporating a citizen voice in all our competitions. Um, and uh, actually it's, it's often quite sort of leveling. You get experts in a room who sort of start debating on something and then you have a sort of citizen voice and they say, there's no way that would work or there's no, you know, you know you've not thought about these factors and it really, really enriches our decision-making uh, and, and supports that focus on inequalities. Great. So we're going to come on to talk about the community practice. So delighted that uh, Centre for Aging Better is partnering with UKRI to support the um, community of practice. So as an organisation, we are supporting change in practice informed by evidence. That's basically what, what we're here to do. And um, obviously, in some situations, there's really good evidence of what to do. And so we can be quite strong in, in calling on people to take action. But there's lots of areas where we don't really know what the solutions are or we need innovation to um, develop and test new approaches. And so that's why we're really delighted to be supporting um, the challenge in general. But also we recognize that to support this sort of change in practice, whether it's trying out new things or taking things that we know work to scale, it's really important to connect people through networks so they can share experiences, they can share learning with one another, but also when they're addressing common challenges, you know, I'm sure uh, some of the innovators in this market will be um, experiencing some common issues. I think one of them they've already been looking at is how to do that consumer engagement and co-production uh, during COVID when obviously um, it was impossible to run face-to-face -face focus groups and that sort of thing. So really um, a valuable way of, of bringing people together to um, share and learn from one another. But it would be great, um, I'll say a little bit more about how people can uh, join uh, the community of practice. But just to hear a little bit from you about the value you see for a community of practice for this um, healthy aging challenge. Yeah, well, well, I suppose it starts at the beginning with, with what you were saying. This is a really complex problem. It's sort of wicked and unknowable in, in that sense from where you start off. And that sort of makes us think about approaching this probably in a way that's very un, unusual for government programmes. So instead of deciding what you're going to do and then having a, a, a master plan and executing it, we've had to take some bets. Um, and one of the bets is it, one of the approaches is to spread that bet. So instead of having one or two really big projects that we back, we backed a number of different things in different areas, see how they go. But the other bit is that instead of having 
a master plan to get to the end goal, you have a master vision and you've actually set off and you see what works and what doesn't and you learn and you adjust and you go. In, 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 in the sort of program management world, it's called agile. Um, but actually to make agile work, we couldn't just sit back as a funder and, and fund a number of different things because we thought that was, that, 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 that was a good way of doing it. We've actually got to really actively connect together what we're doing. And, um, you know, I'll give you an example. We are already seeing right from the sort of the basic research projects through some of the early stage Catalyst Awards that we've recently sort of given right through to the Trailblazers, a very strong built environment dimension. And actually, they could all learn from each other and benefit from that connectivity that the community practice will give. So, so that's what we um, wanted the community practice to do. And, and that's that's why you're now up and running. Um, and, and they're um, bringing in sort of and, and connecting people who are already funded by us. Yes, and we want to obviously not only connect those that you're directly funding with each other, and as you say, extending that to the researchers who are going to be um, uh, receiving some of the research funding, but also to those beyond who are interested in or thinking of either innovating, have ideas and, and want to um, develop products and services for this market. So hopefully creating an extended community um, of practice uh, where people can network, where people can share and learn from, from one another. So um, that's the hope. So we are open to uh, people who are listening today to join that community. Um, uh, as we say, there'll be different sort of levels of involvement and engagement. Um, and we'll be sharing learning from the different projects. Uh, there'll be pub themed publications, There'll be a conference and some themed webinars that people can join. And so if you are interested in healthy aging and innovation, uh, we'd really love to hear from you. So please do find out more and get in touch with us um, or visit the Aging Better Community of Practice website. Uh, the link will be um, available on your screen. So George, just to uh, finish, uh, What's, what's next uh, for the Healthy Aging Challenge? You've been very busy making uh, awards and uh, getting the different elements of the challenge off the ground. Um, what, what are the key priorities for the coming months? Well, yes, and, and you just remind me that it was a year ago that we started um, and we have a lot of things already in motion, but there is so much more. So. Um, firstly, I'd say if, if there are people out there, we have um, three initial investment partnerships. Um, we're currently um, looking for more investor partners to come on. And that is money for early stage businesses to um, seek investment um, as, as a combination of government and, and private investment to help them sort of develop their innovations and, and grow. So that opportunity is out there all the time. Um, we're also really excited that our trailblazers are just coming to the end of their um, development stage and, and we'll just be going into another competition uh, into um, a three years of deployment phase. So a lot of activity on that front. Um, I think for researchers as well, we've just announced our first round of Catalyst Awards. Um, we're delighted with what we've got. We've also learned a huge amount of the agony that we put people through in, in, in applying. So we're completely revamping 
how we do that. And what we're trying to do is make uh, the whole sort of engagement and application process a learning journey in itself so that um, there are more awards to be had. But even if you don't um, achieve an award, what you might do is find an awful lot of um, help in actually taking your innovation forward in other means. So that's going on. Um, and then in the background, um, we have a bit of money that's that's uncommitted and we're just beginning to shape what we'll do with that. Originally, the idea was we'd sort of put it out into small sort of design competitions. But we had such a huge amount of interest in our Trailblazer competition. And when we looked at um, those that weren't quite successful, there were a lot of really, really good ideas. But um, generally, the feedback was they needed to understand their market a little bit, bit better. They needed to understand the state of, of play, of, of what was already known. And, and we're beginning to think about putting all that money together in another competition that would give a, a fresh range of opportunities, not as a full trailblazer, but to help those sorts of companies and new ones that are coming through all the time um, to develop their propositions in a way that actually they have a really, really strong investment proposal by the end of that and would then be able to scale. So look out for things early in the new year. Great, thanks, George. And then just uh, as we finish, perhaps a couple of quick fires. So you've been going a year. It's been a year in which uh, the whole world has been up, turned upside down by um, COVID-19. How has it changed the healthy aging challenge, if at all? So, fascinating question actually because um in one sense just from a sort of selfish program point of view um it's had we've dodged a bullet if you like it's had relatively little impact because the people we've got have been able to work around the lockdown they've been able to keep their plans um on track and, and moving forward um the reality is that actually come the spring, we're expecting an awful lot of on the ground work. Um, and so we would be quite significantly impacted um, if lockdown continues. Um, and sort of thinking that through, that's a really good example of how the community practice is helping. You're already sort of on the case of pulling together the evidence of how you do remote consultation and, and development work so that we can keep some momentum going behind that. Um, I think the other thing that has come through is that there were some um, co specific COVID competitions that, that were put out, opportunities for people to receive funding. And that was a time when businesses suddenly were, were facing a cliff edge. You know, they, um, a lot of them were shutting down, furloughing staff, had lost their markets. You know, it, it actually, if your market is about working with older people, um, many of them would shut their doors and you wouldn't get access to them. And we were really delighted to see a whole range of innovations for relatively small projects done really rapidly come through. Um, actually, so much so that, it, that there were more applications for a competition in, in a matter of a couple of weeks than um, Innovate UK normally see in an entire year. But embedded within that are a number with a really good, strong, healthy aging component. And we've been able to pick up and fund some extra ones to make sure that, that we've got a really good range of, of things coming forward. So two ways that, that, that COVID um, ha has impacted us. Um, and and we're actually, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is actually reinforced by what's coming out of COVID. 
Um, so the need for people to um, maintain their health in later life, the value of that actually has come forward even stronger. And the fact that actually we've had a sort of step change in the use of technology, you know, even my 92 year old mother is being helped to Skype with me once a week so that we may maintain contact with her in a care home. To see that sort of innovation come through so rapidly, we need to sort of build on that and, and, and not lose that or the sense of community that COVID has, has generated. What surprised you most over the last year? I think I would just say I was delighted by the level of competition. I was always nervous as to whether uh, we would show an interest uh, and whether it's getting big name brands like Legal and General and Barclays coming and backing our investment or bigger companies coming in and taking on trailblazers. We've got a whole load of people who UK research and innovation doesn't normally work with actually coming forward and uh, wanting to be part of this. What's your biggest achievement over the last year? So I think we all feel that we've actually moved um, the challenge forward at a time when actually the team was really very small. Um, so we've actually had to prioritize and focus on how do we get this moving and what can what can we do? So I think we're really proud that we've worked together as a team, we've built contacts in the outside world, and we've got something up and running. And in a way, you know, um, the challenge had lingered for a year, year and a half, um, and now we're in a completely different situation. Well, congratulations, George. It's been fantastic to see how this has developed from some of our early engagement to help frame what do we even mean by healthy aging and what might be some of the issues that could contribute to this mission of people living longer in good health and independently and it's fantastic to see already how many businesses and innovators are engaged and interested and we really hope through our collaboration uh, building this community uh, that we can strengthen that and together hopefully um, we will address the healthy aging challenge and turn it into an opportunity so it's been great to talk to you today George thanks so much for your time well thank you Anna and we're really delighted that we're working with aging better and uh, really want everyone to benefit from that collaboration